baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond. That's right. It's brand new. It's a different name, but it's a lot of the things that you're probably already familiar with, including the two hosts that you're probably already familiar with. If you're subscribed to this podcast, I'm Grant McCauley, joined as always by Nick Green. And this is our inaugural voyage, our maiden voyage, I guess you call it, on From the Diamond. A little bit different and a little bit exciting, I think, to have a new creative venture. I'm certainly pumped up about it. And there's a lot of reason to be pumped up, as today is Friday. That's something that people look forward to all week. But also, if you're a baseball fan, you've been looking forward all winter to pitchers and catchers reporting. That's been happening all week across baseball in both Florida and in Arizona. But the Atlanta Braves, they're the last people to make it to the party. And they have reported the Atlanta Braves have pitchers and catchers, that is, as of today, this morning, Friday, February the 15th. So Nick Green, as a a veteran of spring training report dates, though you were not a pitcher nor a catcher, are you excited that it's finally time to get some baseball back in our lives? I am, and uh, you always get excited for this time of year. Everybody's tired of throwing in the cage, hitting in the cage, uh, doing their normal routine of off-season workouts, uh, and everybody wants to get down to spring training and get things going. And even though it feels like it's a, a long period of time, it's kind of short at the same time, but uh, I know everybody's excited to get down there and get started. If this was me, I typically left the day after Valentine's Day to go down to spring training. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would be. I would be on the move today, and I would be excited, and I think everybody else is as well. So would you be what we would refer to as an early report kind of guy? I would. I, I always wanted to be down and, and get on the field five or six days before. Um, if I could, uh, About four, uh, it'd be about four or five workouts on the field. Um, just to get yeah. everything situated. And it's weird because we hit in the cage so much in the offseason, don't hit on the field a whole lot, and then you go out on the field and everything just feels different. And I think it's important for guys to get on the field. A lot of guys in Florida or out west or whatever, they can hit on fields and practice on fields all day long because of the weather is so nice. But here you can't really do that. It's a little bit too cold in Atlanta. So I know guys are just excited to get down and actually get on the field and get things going. Well, we've got ourselves going on a brand new field of sorts as well. Again, from the diamond. That's, I said, in the small, I guess, trailer, if you want to call it that, the introductory snippet that I put up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and, of course, fromthediamond.com, where you can find everything that we talk about on the show. It is a new name. And as I said, in that particular lead-up to this, all the great things in baseball, I think, come from the diamond. So I'm looking forward to talking about them. If you want to connect with us on social media to find the show, at from the diamond underscore. You can find me at Grant McCauley. You can find Nick at Nick Green 20. We'll be setting up all the other social media platforms and whatnot as we get going. But again, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And from the diamond.com is brand new. And that's where you can find all the articles and every episode of this show as well. 
And today we're going to be previewing the Atlanta Braves rotation as we continue what has been an ongoing preview series that we're going to pick up here where we left off on the last show. And we're going to jump into the starting five for the Braves and talk quite a bit about the guys that are going to comprise that group because we think we know four names, but that fifth name has a lot of intrigue or that fifth spot has a lot of intrigue and it has an awful lot of names. I'll tell you well more than the one or two guys you might think that you need. The Braves have a host of pitching prospects that will be fighting to find their way into that rotation. But you can find the full preview series of the bullpen out today as well. That makes part five of the five-part series. Catchers, infield, outfield, rotation, bullpen from the diamond.com is where you can find it. But here on the show, we're going to talk about starting rotation. And Nick, I thought last year the Braves rotation did an awful lot of good things because you saw some clear steps forward, in particular from Mike fulton who had a breakout season. Also, the growth I think you saw from Sean Newcomb was certainly a tremendous thing to see if you're looking for these young talents to become contributors at the big league level. Sean did that. Anibal Sanchez was a stabilizing force in the rotation. He's gone. Kevin Gossman, though, came over from the Orioles. He was very good in Atlanta. He's back again. And, of course, Julio Tehran is back. As we size up just from the 30,000-foot view, what do you think of that starting four? And do you think the Braves are equipped enough with that four to feel good about their chances and what we have learned is going to be what would appear an ultra competitive National League East. I think they are. And when you look at guys making a step forward, I think Newcomb's going to take a step forward, even though he had a good year last year. He tailed off at the end. I think Fulton Evich is going to be around the same as he was last year. I think he's going to improve in certain areas, and I think that will benefit him. We'll see if Tehran stays around or not if they make a trade. Tehran wasn't bad, though. I know a lot of people. Uh, weren't happy with the way Tehran performed, but Tehran, he, he did his job. He's not a top-of-the-rotation ace kind of guy, but he's a valuable piece of the rotation. I think that he's going to be better. I think he's continuing to learn. I know he's still young age-wise, but he has a ton of experience, and he's learning how to get better uh, with what he's got. So I'm expecting bigger things from Tehran this year if he stays around. And I like Gosman, and I'm excited to see who that number five guy is. And just from what has, has been said with Anthopolis uh, this offseason, they're going to more than likely go with a six-man rotation, even though it's not going to be a full six-man. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have that guy up and down, and you're going to see a bunch of different guys fill that role. So do I think they're equipped to do well with the rotation they have? Absolutely. Um, it's going to take some guys stepping up and some guys performing better at times than they did last year, but I think they're capable of it for sure. So I think you have to be excited about how – this rotation stacks up, even though they haven't gotten that ace type of arm or top of the rotation type of arm everybody expected them to get. But don't count them out yet. I think they're still going to be talking about that, and who knows what's going to happen uh, from now until opening day or even possibly later on in the season. And there's been a lot of consternation, especially recently, about what the Braves spent or have not spent yet as far as their moves are concerned. The club's going to have to make those decisions. Those are clearly out of the hands of media types and podcasters and and radio show hosts and analysts and whatnot. The Braves have decisions to make as to whether or not they need to bolster the bullpen or the rotation or find that other piece. And there is still time to do that before opening day. But regardless of that, this is a quality starting four that I look at. And there is going to be competition for that fifth spot. And as Nick alluded to, and as we saw last year, a sixth spot in that rotation, though not quote-unquote official, there's going to be, I think, very many occasions in which a young arm is going to come up and allow the Braves to put a little bit of length in that rotation and to allow guys to stay fresh throughout the year. And In particular, that could be very helpful for one of the four guys that should have a spot in this Braves rotation. But 
If you look at Mike Fultonevich off his all-star campaign, Sean Newcomb took a big step forward. Julio Tehran and Kevin Gosman, I think, are you know, veterans who can have a stabilizing effect, if not perhaps in Gosman's case, maybe be a little bit more spectacular or at least more on the line of what he did last year with the Braves. If he can do so, that's certainly a big boom to your rotation or a big boon to your rotation, rather. But I, I look at that group, and I also think it leaves very little room for regression, and it's going to really depend on the contributions of some as-of-yet untested prospects that the Braves are bringing to camp or guys that have a little bit of big league experience but haven't done the full 25 or 30 or more starts a year. It's going to be fascinating to see exactly what the Braves decide to do when it comes with making that decision on who is your fifth starter. You may not see him a ton in April. Then again, you might, based on the way the Braves have done things over the last year, but there's no shortage of names. Nick, I want to start at the top of the rotation because I think if you're talking about opening day starter this year and the name on the marquee is not Mike fulton I think the Braves might be doing it all wrong. What do you He's think? He's got to be at the top of the rotation. I mean, he deserves it. He earned that. I love what he went out and did last year, and I, I think he needed to have a season like he had. Yeah, There are times that fulton has been frustrating, and that's what you're going to deal with uh, with a bunch of young guys. You're not going to see them – be the greatest Mike fulton or the greatest Sean Newcomb every single time out. Uh, they're going to have some bumps in the road. Fulty had some bumps in the road at times. But when you look at the end of the year, he had 31 starts, 183 innings, which is uh, 180 innings now, 180 innings, is a pretty big deal. Uh, you don't see a lot of guys with 200 innings. He was the only guy on the staff with 180-plus innings. He had over 200 strikeouts. That's a big deal. Uh, the one thing that you love to see Fulty do – uh, a little bit better this year is go a little bit deeper in the game. And you see him a lot of times wear down early on uh, as far as the fifth inning, sixth inning, something like that. You don't see him go deep all the time. And I think he's going to learn to he has to put the proper fuel in his body. That's one of the things that uh, Snicker kept on saying. He's not eating enough. He's not preparing as far as nutrition and getting that food and that fuel into his body to keep him going. Uh, I'll never forget one game this year. Fulty, it was, it was, I think it was the sixth inning. He was coming up to bat. Fulty was sitting on the padding in the on deck circle, hunched over like he was going to die, um, and he needed to go back out and pitch right. again. And when you see that, that's something he can get better at, and he knows that. And I think you're going to see him go more than 180 innings this year. I think he's going to step up and he's going to go over 190, um, and that's a big deal. And I'd I like the confidence uh, that he showed last year. He's more confident in all of his pitches. He throws a slider a lot, but the more confidence he has in the curveball, which is nasty too, and the changeup, the better he is. His arm is unbelievable. And just to see right. what he was able to do uh, last year as far as improving on the year before, I think he's going to improve in certain areas this year as well. Uh, and opening day starter, yeah, absolutely. No question about it, he's the opening day starter. Let me give you a couple of Mike fulton stats that you might be interested in if you're a Braves fan because you knew he was an all-star last year and you knew that he took that big step forward and he finally really cashed in on that potential of the arm that Nick just talked about. 285 ERA, top 10 in baseball. Not just the National League, top 10 in baseball, as was his strikeouts per nine, which was 9.93. So basically, 10 strikeouts per nine innings pitched and he became the first Braves pitcher to strike out 200 hitters in a season in almost a decade. So he did a lot of different things. He was hard to hit 
Only Max Scherzer among qualified starters had a lower opponent's batting average than Mike Fulton-Evich. When you're rubbing elbows on leaderboards with the Max Scherzers of the world, I think it's fair to say that you have stepped forward and really started to cash in on not just your potential, but your considerable talent if you're Mike Fulton-Evich. Easily the Braves' most valuable pitcher if you're looking at wins above replacement no matter where you look. Hard thrower, Mike Fulton-Evich, always known for that electric arm. But, Nick, as you talked about the things that he did last year, his evolution as a pitcher and his ability to really compose himself and command his fastball and utilize his off-speed pitches and his breaking ball to much greater effect, that unlocked the door from becoming just not necessarily just a thrower, but a guy who, when he got in trouble, became, I think, a bit more of a thrower to a guy who really knew how to navigate his way through some of the challenges that can come up throughout a start. And that's how he found his way to those 200 strikeouts as well. I was just overall impressed with the strides Mike fulton took, especially when the first thing you heard about last year was all this arbitration thing. What a debacle. Why are we arguing over $100,000? I mean, how does this not get settled? And I think early on, Mike was a little bit, I think, up in arms about that. But after a very short time in spring training, it seemed like that was water under the bridge between the team and Mike. And he got down to business, and he got himself a nice payday when it comes to 2019. So I would say that as he looks back on it for Mike fulton professionally especially, but also personally off the field, he's got the beautiful family that he's also uh, in charge of now. This was a pretty big year, a breakout season all around for the young right-hander. Absolutely. And when you look at uh, what he did emotionally, I think that was a big step as well. Just not only the fact that he was a better pitcher overall, was able to use more pitches, confident more pitches, what we saw in 2017 with fulton was if a call doesn't go his way or he thinks it's a bad call, he gets frustrated, and you know that. Now he's able to kind of take a deep breath, throw that out the window, although you just see some frustrations every now and then, and that's normal. Uh, but he's not going to allow that to affect him over the course of the next batter, two batters, three batters, the next inning. He's able to throw that out the window, come back, and still have confidence in all his pitches. The other thing is – in 17, when he was struggling, all he would try to do is blow a fastball by everybody. Well, this is the big leagues. You see 97 all the time. They can dial that up any day of the week, these hitters. So he's got to throw something else more confident with all his pitches now, uh, becoming more of a pitcher. And uh, like I said, he's going to continue to progress, and he's going to continue to get more mature uh, with his emotions, and he's just going to continue to get better. When you look at the ERA, the strikeouts, the hits, per nine innings, all that stuff. Those were outstanding numbers, but there's so much he can get better at, and that's scary. It absolutely is. And when you look at the degree of talent that he has that you just touched on, and the fact that there may be that next level that he can go to, or just even if it's just another uh, step forward, however incremental it may be over the next couple of years, I do think he's a guy that can repeat his success. And the Braves are going to be depending on him to do that. There's really no two ways about it, because when you look at, Arm talent and the guy that has had the best season of anybody in the Braves rotation, Mike Fulton-Evich's 2018 was, I think, better than pretty much any season that Julio Tehran has had to date. And Sean Newcomb is just getting started. Kevin Gosman has kind of been a middle-of-the-rotation starter coming over from the American League. The Braves are depending on Mike Fulton-Evich to anchor this rotation, saving any other move that they make. And we've waited all winter for the possibility of the Braves trading for a top-of-the-rotation starter. It was a need that was set out at the start of the winter as something that they might focus on, and it's not something that they ended up doing. So the possibility of some kind of addition that may come 
in the spring, or it could be reserved for the July trade deadline. If that's the way that the Braves want to play that, then that certainly is their prerogative. But they are depending on Mike fulton and this group to be able to put them in position to succeed at that point so that they could go out and possibly add that kind of starter or make that kind of addition. And that's it's an interesting place to be, that's for sure. You are doubling down on last year's success, but I think there are a lot of indicators on what fulton did last year that have to make you pretty excited about what he can do this year. There's no doubt about that at all. And, and one other thing that I want to touch on is – Last year, he, he said he was motivated because of his son, Jet. Now he's got a new baby. Uh, and, and so I feel yeah. like he's going to be motivated again this year. Um, not that you have to have kids to stay motivated, but uh, he gets to see those faces. And it, it kind of, even if, if he struggles, he gets to see a smiling baby face. Uh, these kids don't care if you struggle. They just want dad home and they want to see dad. And they're excited to see dad. Yeah. And that, that plays a big role. And as a player to have that type of feeling knowing that after the game, even though you struggle, you can bounce back because you see that beautiful smiling baby face is a big deal to it. I think he's going to be motivated again this year. I think it's going to be an exciting year and we should see uh, that good Fulton Evich again. A guy that needs to be motivated this year because he could be heading into free agency, depending on what the Braves plans are. And that's Julio Tehran. The funny thing is not even a full calendar year separates the age of Mike Fulton Evich and Julio Tehran, but, you think about Julio, you go back, he's been here, what, half a dozen years now. He's made five consecutive opening day starts. I think that's going to be uh, something that will be seeded to Mike fulton in 2019 as the Braves open up the season. Tehran was a bit of an enigma last year. And while there were certain stats that you look at that you'd say, man, Julio made some improvements over 2017. He was a hard guy to hit, that's for sure. 6.4 hits per nine, that was a career best. And kept his home run rate about the same from 2017, and his strikeout rate went way up. But the problem for Julio was his walks skyrocketed. And that issue was something that was not his alone on the Braves staff, that's for sure. We saw it time and time again, walks being something that would lead to problems for the Braves staff, particularly in the bullpen. Julio, though, has always been a guy that I've looked at that he has a certain amount of talent, but he also has to get by now with a certain amount of guile because he does not have that same overall fastball velocity that he once had when he came up Back in 2011, 2012, when he got his first taste of the big leagues, Julio was a guy that was popping the mid about 94, 95. He could sit there if he wanted to throughout the start. Now, if you see a handful of 93s from Julio, then I think that's a big day from him. You don't have to have the velocity to know how to pitch, and I think Julio has made some adjustments, but he's going to have to find some degree of consistency in order to give the Braves some valuable innings this year and to secure his place in the rotation throughout the entirety of the season. Because if he struggles for a prolonged period of time like he did in 2017, I have a hard time believing that the Braves, if they're in contention, won't start considering some of the options they may have at the minor league level, particularly if somebody is throwing really well down there. What do you make of Julio for 2019? What to expect from him? And what we may see when it comes to what could be his final go-round in Atlanta, depending on yeah, how the future plays out. No, it's tough to determine what to expect from Tehran and which Tehran we're going to see. Yeah. Uh, last year, I thought he was a whole lot better. And in 17, uh, the home road splits were way different. Uh, last year, they were more even, almost exactly even as far as ERA is concerned. Uh, when we remember, he couldn't pitch at home in 17. He was awful. He was good on the road. I, I think he's going to be a guy that needs to be able to eat innings. I think that's going to be one of the main goals. Keep Keep them in the game. Uh, he's pitching with diminished velocity. He's going to have to rely on the slider a lot. 
I would love to see him gain more confidence in his changeup and curveball. He becomes a two pitch pitcher and he doesn't have a ton of movement on his fastball. He does throw a two seam fastball. It runs a little bit, but it's not overpowering and it's not Greg Maddox style. So yeah. for Tehran, he's going to have to use all of his pitches or he's going to have to be on every single night. And you can't expect him to be on every single night. He's going to have to keep the ball in the ballpark, limit the walks. And what's crazy is when you look at his whip from last year, and you mentioned the walks, you mentioned the fact that he was hard to hit. He only gave up 122 hits in 175 and two-thirds innings. Yep. That's awesome. But the walks hurt him. So when you look at the whip, which is walks plus hits per inning pitched, he's back on his normal pace for his career. And if you see that the amount of hits that he gave up, which wasn't many, that whip should have been closer to one than yep. one two. And it was one one seven three, which is right in line with his career uh, numbers. But if he could limit the walks, and what I go back to is sometimes I feel like he's a little bit afraid to pitch in the strike zone to certain people. Uh, I'll never forget a game against Washington this past year when it felt like he was walking guys on purpose because he didn't want to face them instead of going after guys and making his pitch. And that's what I want to see him do, uh, attack the zone. If you get hit, you get hit. Uh, but he's been doing it long enough. He has good enough control and command uh, that he can pitch down and away in the strike zone, can come inside for effect uh, and throw his slider whenever he wants to. If he adds the curveball and changeup that he's more comfortable with, it just throws the hitters off a little bit more. And I think that would help him as far as getting some soft contact outs and possibly not walking quite as many guys. But he's still learning. And I said this earlier, he's still young. And he's pitching with, I don't want to say necessarily diminished stuff, but the velocity definitely diminished. He has to figure out how he's going to pitch. And I think he's still evolving. He's only 27 years old. And so this is a guy that's, that has the experience. I uh, just want to see him continue to improve and, and learn how to pitch with the stuff that he has now. Something we talk a lot about and we'll get into a little bit with Sean Newcomb and one of the things that started to work in his favor was that the realization that you can't be a two-pitch pitcher as a starting pitcher in the big leagues. At least I don't know of too many guys that succeed like that that don't at least have a third pitch they can count on to start disrupting hitters' timing and to keep you off of certain pitches and off of certain counts and to be able to execute your entire arsenal and thus the game plan. But you're right. I mean, Julio becomes a fastball slider pitcher and that slider last year at times I thought was much improved. And then at other times he threw some that hitters probably thought looked great because the damage that was done on those pitches obviously was inflicted on that scoreboard against the Braves and typically seemed to happen after some ill-timed walks. Not that there's ever really a great time to issue a walk, but be that as it may, if you look at that leaderboard I mentioned to you where Mike Fultonevich and Max Scherzer are sitting, well, Scherzer won, Fultonevich two, when it comes to batting average against last year, Julio Tehran was third best. And we're talking about a league and a leaderboard that includes the likes of Jacob deGrom and others, but Julio Tehran was hard to hit last year. Unfortunately, when he did get hit, there were some free base runners on, and I think that ultimately led to some of the struggles that he had to deal with. The strange thing about it, when you start looking at a pitcher that's that hard to hit, is I go back and I look at the value of a starting pitcher. There are 57 starters last year that qualified for the ERA title in baseball, right? Mm -hmm. Julio Tehran was 56th out of the 57 qualified starters in wins above replacement. The only one lower than him was Lucas Giolito 
of the White Sox. And in fact, he was the only starter with a negative war. I know that I don't want to hang my hat on one particular statistic, but it kind of lets me know in relation to what's going on value-wise and and all the components that go into deriving wins above replacement, Julio Tehran was not exactly where he'd want to be and not exactly where the Braves need him. They need him to be around a two, two and a half win, maybe better pitcher, which he has certainly been in his career. So as I opened this whole thing up, and like I said in the article, Julio has been such an enigma since his all-star appearance in 2016 because 2017 was so challenging for him at SunTrust Park. 2018, it seemed like he figured a few things out. But then again, there were still those nights where you just had to wonder which Julio Tehran you were going to get. But this is a big year for him and for the Braves when it comes to Julio Tehran because not only if he is successful can he help them compete on a given night every fifth night, but he also ups his trade value just in case the Braves decide that they need to make some kind of move. And Julio Tehran is a piece of that. All parties here really need to come in and hope that Julio Tehran has himself a good season for a variety of reasons. When you look at war and you talk about war and the stats stuff, to me, that doesn't tell the whole story. When I look at Tehran, yeah, he was frustrating at times, but he was important to the team. Sure. He was important to that starting rotation. And when you look at those numbers and say, oh, he was almost last in war amongst qualified starters, I couldn't see that unless you just told me that number. Like I said, he had a pretty good year as far as numbers are concerned, and maybe it wasn't the year he wanted to have, but he wasn't that bad. And that's the thing. When I look at that rotation, his ERA was under four. And how many guys would you love to have in your rotation with the ERA under four? Um, He gave you 175 innings, which is the first time since he's come up in 13 uh, where he gave you less than 180 innings. So you expect him to get over 180, probably 185 is what you expect from Toronto. So he definitely took a step back there. Mm -hmm. But he was an important piece of the rotation. And I can't hang my hat all on war and statistics I thought that he was better than that, what that war number suggests. Uh, But, again, he's going to have to improve. He knows that he didn't have a great year last year, and he's got to figure some stuff out. But uh, he could still be a big piece of the rotation this year, whether he's in the rotation for six months, whether he's in it for two. You don't know. Uh, But the Braves definitely need him to get back on track and find out who he is as a pitcher and give them some innings. I think it's probably the most important thing. Absolutely. I don't think anything you said there in terms of his importance and the value of those innings can be understated whatsoever for that rotation, especially with some of the ins and outs and ups and downs when it came to all of the different faces that were plugged in at some point. If you're wondering just to qualify when it comes to war, and again, I'm not saying that's just the end-all be-all, but it does paint a fairly large picture. ERA under four, I think is fantastic. It's just he always outperforms his peripherals, and I think that is ultimately what led to the Difference in what you saw and what you felt when you look at some numbers of Julio Tehran and obviously what went into the advanced metrics. But again, we're not going to do a whole podcast on that. I just thought it was fascinating because <laughs> there are good stats that you really like about him. Well, and, there, and there are other stats that you look at and you're like, man, if he could fix that one, then it would unlock him being that pitcher who was so valuable, wins above replacement or otherwise, for a number of years for the Braves not too long ago. Well, when you talk about value and what these teams, how they value the players – War is a big deal. Yeah. And if he's at the bottom of it, then if, say, if he were a free agent, if he's at the bottom of the war from qualified starters, he's not going to get the deal he wants. And they're probably going to make him sign a minor league deal and come into spring training and fight for a job. That's the kind of influence that statistics have on free agents, on teams now. And there's a big emphasis on 
war and these other statistics, and that's how they judge the player. So maybe I'm a little bit old school with it. I'm, I'm more new school than I thought it was going to be five years ago. But when I look at that, I thought he was better than the statistics suggest. But if he was a free agent, he might have trouble finding a big league job. Yeah, it could be a little bit tough. One guy who shouldn't have too much trouble finding a big league job for the Braves is Sean Newcomb. At 25 years old now, Sean is a full season of big league ball under his belt, and I think he's got to feel pretty good about what he was able to show the Braves last year. But I touched on this a little bit earlier, and, and actually, Nick, you kind of kicked this whole part of our discussion off talking about the six-man rotation that they'll never call a six-man rotation no matter how long it goes on throughout this summer or throughout this season. But Sean Newcomb was a huge beneficiary of that extra day. Overall, he was 12-9 and nine last year, ERA just under four. 164 innings for him and 30 starts. All those look pretty good and pretty much in line with what a 2018 starting pitcher is for the most part because the complete game is pretty much totally obsolete, so you don't expect too many of those from him. Uh, but Sean made 22 starts with an extra day or more of rest. In those starts, he was 9-6 and six with an ERA of 3.30, opponents with an OPS under 600 against him, and he was striking out about 9.5 batters per nine innings. If you look at his starts on regular rest of four days, ERA approaching six, OPS over 800, just over seven strikeouts per nine, and obviously walks a bit of a problem for Sean at times. So my question is, they can continue to do this. They can continue to put an extra starter in rotation and help give these guys some rest and a breather and the extra day and all that stuff. But I don't know. Is there anything to be said for the difference in Sean Newcomb's stats between pitching a four days rest and five days rest? And how do you bridge that gap and try to get some of that consistency regardless of how many days we're talking about here. Cause I mean, nobody's asked him to go out there on three days rest. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you, you hope that he's learned uh, and that he needed to change something as far as, in my opinion, it's probably conditioning, but he's going to try to make those adjustments so that he is capable of succeeding on regular rest. Now, if I'm the Braves, I'm looking at the statistics, I'm probably going to do exactly what they're doing. These guys benefit from an extra day of rest and that's, Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be a proven fact. So I would definitely go that route if I were the Braves. As far as Newcomb's concerned, I prepare like I'm pitching every five days. And I've got to do something as far as my routine, as far as my conditioning, whatever it may be, uh, that helps me succeed on regular rest. And when you look at Sean Newcomb on regular rest, walks are a bit of an issue. Uh, the strikeouts were down that's telling me that his stuff just isn't quite as crisp. And a lot of times when you're tired, especially Newcomb, he's going to be up in the zone. He's not going to be able to pound the zone down with good downward plane on his fastball. The breaking ball ends up hanging up, uh, and then he's got to rely on the changeup, which has improved a lot, but it's certainly not his, his best pitch, which is his fastball. And I think that pitch is going to improve as well, the changeup. But when you looked at Newcomb later in the year, he made a huge adjustment, and I don't know if it was because they gave him a little bit more rest. They didn't rely on him quite as heavily late in the season, but he was getting good downhill action, good extension on his pitches, and his breaking ball was better because the release point was more out front, and his fastball was better. It had more life to it. When you look at being able to re- release the ball more out front, I don't even know the exact number, but if you hold on to the ball – 0.2 seconds longer, 0.1 seconds longer. Somebody can actually figure this out for me. It increases the velocity, perceived velocity, by four or five miles an hour, something crazy like that. So for me, with Newcomb, 
he's throwing 93, 94, and all of a sudden now he's getting that good extension out front. He's releasing out front, holding onto the ball a little bit longer. Now it looks into the upper 90s, and he has a whole lot more success, plus his command's better. And, and I don't know if that was a factor of getting a little bit more rest, getting back on track as far as feeling good and confident with his body. I think he's going to make some sort of adjustment to be able to pitch on regular rests. And uh, what I saw at the end of the year, if in fact it is conditioning and he gets the proper rest he needs, if he can do that every day, this guy can be dominant. And the curveball was a big issue last year and the year before, not being able to command it. He added the changeup last year and it helped a whole lot. But if he can figure it out, he has some serious potential. So I'm just looking forward to seeing how he progresses this year. And I think he's going to take a step forward for sure. Yeah, Sean's big thing has always been walks. That dates back to his minor league days. And last year, among qualified starters, you know, he was a quality pitcher when it came to strikeouts. He was 12th in the NL as far as strikeout rate was concerned, but he was second to last in baseball, walking about four and a half batters per nine. That has long been the problem for him. Despite dealing with the extra base runners, though, in Newcomb, if you look at his throughout the game, how he was dealing with the opposing lineup, it seemed like if he could get through three innings, if he could get through really the batting order once it turned over that second time, if he got locked in from about the fourth inning on, you would just watch the opponent's batting average, OPS, just go down, down, down. Because if he was locked in and was able to complete that six innings and give the Braves a quality start, you know, in terms of, you know, allowing three or fewer earned runs, then he was doing his job more times than not. In fact, 16 quality starts last year for Newcomb. I know that's a nuanced stat, and it's certainly far from perfect. The funny thing is that Sean Newcomb and Julio Tehran led the Braves last year in quality starts. It wasn't Mike fulton It wasn't Anibal Sanchez. It was Sean Newcomb and Julio Tehran. So just go figure. You can find a stat to kind of illustrate just about anything that you want to illustrate. But I think a lot of stats will illustrate how good Sean Newcomb was last year and the reasons why. And, of course, that little brush with history or almost history as he was one strike away from a no-hitter in his final start in the month of July through a career-high number of innings, career-high number of pitches, and Chris Taylor of the Dodgers spoiled it with a two-out single in the ninth inning. But what a day that was for Sean Newcomb, and what a glimpse that was at the kind of talent this kid has. He may not flirt with a no-hitter or a perfect game every time he goes out there, but this is a guy, size-wise, stuff-wise, and projectability-wise, you really have to like what you've got in rotation. And if you're a rotation that needs that dimension of a left-hander, Sean Newcomb brings an awful lot to the table. Well, he fits exactly what you're looking for as far as a lefty in this day and age. Um, he's got a big-time arm. He's got the potential to have a great curveball. Uh, he's developing uh, with his changeup, and he's a big guy that you expect to be able to go deep into ball games. You expect him to be a guy that can give you, I mentioned 180 innings. He should be well over 180 innings every single year. And did we expect that from last year? No, we didn't. Um, I think we expected a little bit more from him for sure, just because we know the potential's there, the stuff's there. Uh, he's able to to go out there and, and show you what he's capable of doing at times. And you mentioned that Dodgers game. What a heartbreaker. But when you go see him throw that well against that type of lineup, you're sitting there going, this kid can be an ace. He can be a number one or a number two, but you have to do it on a consistent basis. And we talk about walks a lot. If you walk guys, big league hitters are going to make you pay. You make one mistake with a guy on second base, 
You leave a ball up, and it's a run. Uh, if it's if it's certain guys, it's going to be a home run. It's going to be two runs. And so, to me, when we talked about Tehran with the with the walks and Newcomb with the walks, I would rather you get hit than walk guys. And I, I don't think I'm the only person that thinks that. And I think I the, can confirm that yeah. you're, not, you're not the only person. <laughs> yeah, you're just like I am. I mean, it's frustrating. The game lags and drags on, and and it's no fun to, as a defender either. And I think he's going to improve on that. He knows that. And when I talk about walking guys, and I don't like guys to walk a lot of hitters and they need to throw strikes and whatever, I actually pitched, and I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. And I know everybody's going to say, oh, well, they get paid a lot of money to throw strikes. Well, it's not that simple. They aren't out there trying to throw balls. And when you have stuff like Newcombs, you want to go right at guys, attack them. Last year, uh, one of his big reasons for success, especially early on, was he was attacking the strike zone with strike one. And strike one is great, but you have to finish the at-bat off too. And I think that's kind of where he struggled a little bit. And then he, I felt like he got a little bit tired. And that Dodgers game is where kind of he went downhill after that. Uh, but I think he's going to learn from it. He's still young. And he went 163-ish innings, something like that, 164 maybe. Um, and I expect a big jump in innings pitched this year. He had the 30 starts. I expect him to go 180 for sure. And I just love to see him continue to develop. It, like I said, he worked on the changeup last year. That was a big pitch. I expect that to be improved. I want to see if he can duplicate what he was doing as far as release point and consistency with his mechanics at the end of the year. If he can do that to start this year and maintain that, uh, I think he's going to have a big year. The opportunity that a lot of these young Braves pitchers or these Braves pitchers have, it, when you talk about Sean Newcomb, you, you talk about Mike fulton both guys that had great seasons or at least had the kind of breakout season that you were hoping to see from a development standpoint. But then there's a guy like Kevin Gosman, for example, who has, I think, kind of been in that same boat with the Orioles where a lot of folks looked at him, former first-rounder, a guy that has front-of-the-rotation stuff. He's got a fastball that can – sit in the mid-90s if he wants it there. And he's a guy that never really seemed to put all that stuff together in Baltimore to take that next step. But the Braves picked him up for a collection of minor leaguers, not really a headline-stealing deal at the trade deadline. They got Brad Brock. They got Darren O'Day, who was injured, didn't throw a pitch last year for the Braves. But Gossman came over, and in 10 starts, he looked like a totally different pitcher than the one in Baltimore when he looked at the stats. He didn't necessarily look that different every fifth day. I don't think he made any drastic changes, but if anything, I think that Julio Tehran and Sean Newcomb as well, if you want to put them on that list, and really any Braves pitcher that went out there, they all benefited from how good and how well-placed the Braves defense was last year. I looked at batting average on balls put in play, which is a fun stat that really kind of demonstrates you know, what kind of success rate hitters are having against these pitchers and what kind of luck is involved, I guess, too. For a lot of people, they look at that as a component of it. But Kevin Gosman's improved leaps and bounds from his Baltimore days to his stint in Atlanta. And 260 batting average on balls put in play with Atlanta. And I know this is kind of getting off into the statistical weeds or whatever, but for comparison's sake, Max Scherzer had a 265 batting average on balls put in play over the course of the full season last year. Obviously, sample sizes are huge. I said this in the article, but still, to know that that rate was around the same, again, as a guy like a Max Scherzer, just lets you know that's a little bit of a key to success. And perhaps, in some ways, Kevin Gossman, who had an ERA under three, went five and three in his 10 starts for the Braves. Maybe he figured a little bit of something out. 
And maybe he's a guy that can continue that good work in 2019 and have a chance not just to be a stabilizing force who eats innings, but a guy who finally unlocks his potential and has perhaps a career year. What do you think? Can you imagine playing on that Baltimore team the last few years? No. How unmotivated you are, and you have to motivate yourself every day. And now he comes over to Atlanta, and it's like a new lease on life. He's excited. The Braves are playing well. He gets back. To, he sees some familiar faces that he worked with in Baltimore, and they have suggestions for him, and he takes it and runs with it. The defense definitely played a big role in his success with batting average on balls in play, and that's good. You pitch to your defense, and to me, when you're looking at how you set your defense up, you set it up based on tendencies of the hitters, but also based on how your pitcher's going to pitch. Yeah, And when you can combine that together, and maybe they hit the ball hard, but they hit it right at somebody. Well, that's what we planned to do, and that's how we played it. And Kevin Gosman has a lot of potential as far as his arm's concerned. I think a lot of people expected him to be a top-of-the-rotation guy for a long time in Baltimore, figure it out. He's got that dynamic arm. He's got a nasty split and a changeup, which we had trouble classifying which pitch was which last year. Right. But he does throw both, and they're both nasty. The split fingers, the pitch that he throws for a strikeout pitch, the changeup's more the one that he wants to throw for a strike. Uh, But the confidence was through the roof. And I think you're going to see him have that confidence again this year, carry that over, uh, that success from last year with the Braves, carry that over to this year. uh, And – who knows what he can do. I'm excited to see him as well. When we talk about this rotation, I know I'm getting excited about every single one of these guys, but if they pitch to their potential, this rotation could be really good. And we talked about the top four in the rotation at the top of the show. And this is a big reason that you can say, yeah, he might not be a number two. He might be a number three, four. Well, if Kevin Gosman's a number four, uh, even a number three, that's a pretty good rotation. And I think you have to be excited to see what he's able to do if he can duplicate that success that he had last year in Atlanta again this year. So Mike Fulton-Nevich, Julio Tehran, Sean Newcomb, and Kevin Gossman makes up the four guys that you expect to have spots in the Braves rotation. But, Nick, that's where things start to get really interesting, especially when you start (laughs) thinking about, and I know you have because you've been around this team for a number of years now as they've been bringing these guys through the system, drafting these guys, and trying to develop these guys, trading for some of them in some cases, especially the one we'll talk about now, Tuki Toussaint, but these young pitchers. You saw Tuki in the minor leagues. You saw him in the big leagues. The fastball is there. The kid's confident. He loves to compete. He has a lot of fun out there. The curveball that Tuki Toussaint has is one of the best that I've seen in any of my time, especially in the minor leagues. But now that was a big league quality curveball from the first time I ever saw this kid down in Rome a couple of years ago. But he has grown so much as a pitcher as opposed to just being an athlete and a thrower. And he has really unlocked what I think is the opportunity to be a very special arm. And last year we saw what he was able to do, uh, nine and six with an ERA under two and a half between double-A Mississippi and triple-A Gwinnett. And then came up to the Braves, had an ERA right around four, got to make a handful of starts, plenty of strikeouts, handful of walks. That's kind of been something that throughout his time in the minors, sometimes he'd get a little bit walk-prone, but I think he finds ways to work through that but he's no longer a raw talent. I think he's a much more polished pitcher with room still to grow. I just wonder, is Tuki Toussaint got the inside track on this fifth starter's job, or do you look at him perhaps as a guy that 
as of now, depending on the need, that the Braves could look at and say, not only could he help us in rotation, he could also make a contribution out of the bullpen. What do you size up when you look at 2019 for Tuki Toussaint? And I'll throw this out there as well, and we'll get into him more. But if Mike Soroka is healthy, especially, what does it mean for Tuki Toussaint? I think Tuki's got the inside edge. I do because you want to take it slow with uh, Soroka. They've already said that. You want to make sure he's healthy. With Tukey, I think he proved that he can compete at the big league level. Obviously, there are things that he needs to improve on, and walks is one of them. 21 walks in 29 innings. Uh, that's not great, but the stuff was super impressive. Not only the fact that he has good stuff and he's got a great curveball, the changeup is nasty too, and I think people forget that because the curveball is so good. Yeah. But here's, here's the thing. Stuff-wise, he's got it all. He also has the makeup to go out and compete He's got that drive to be great. So when he puts all that together, he's able to cut down on the walks, then the, the sky's the limit. I think that's one of the reasons everybody's so high on him. You thought he was going to be the next big thing when they got him with the Bronson Royo deal because they gave up so much money. It's like, okay, you give up all this money, I think, what, $9 million or something like that, basically is what they paid for Tukey uh, with the, taking on that Royo contract and all that. Yeah. Well, He's lived up to it. He was young then. He just had a big arm, and he was a great athlete. Now he's putting it together, and you're seeing why they're so high on him. And I think last year, he just opened a lot of eyes. You heard about all the other arms besides Tukey, and he came on the scene, and it's like, holy cow, this guy's curveball is nasty. He's got a good fastball, and he's got a good changeup. He can pitch. And I think he's got the inside edge on that fifth starter spot. The interesting part to me is going to be if what if Tukey pitches great every five days, and they'd run that rotation of moving a guy down, moving a guy up because they have options. Well, Tukey's got options. Do you start sending a Tukey Toussaint down if he's pitching well, be just because he can? That's what's going to be interesting to me how they play that out and how that affects these young guys. Because back in the day, you start sending guys down just because they have options. All of a sudden, you're you're not getting the most out of them because they're frustrated and they're not happy with the situation. I want to see what happens with this, but I'm excited to see Tukey and see how he improves this year. And if he can cut down on the walks, those numbers will be even better than he had last year, that short stint. But the sky's the limit for him with stuff-wise, and I don't think the Braves really wanted to trade him. I know he was talked about in some trade rumors and whatnot, but I think they wanted to see more of Tukey Toussaint, and I do too before you really look at him as a big-time trade piece. And I'm a big fan of Tuki Toussaint and all the things that Toussaint showed in his brief time in the major leagues last year made you believe that this guy's got the stuff and the ability and, and the talent level and I think even the mindset to compete at the big league level. I mean, he'll learn like every other young player. There's a learning curve, I think, in the big leagues. We saw that, I mean, Ronald Acuna's lasted for a couple of months before he became basically a superstar. But when you're talking about a pitcher, I think it's a little bit more difficult to build and sustain your success in some cases. But if you've got that kind of stuff and the aptitude and the coachability that I think Tucson has shown and the work ethic to turn yourself from a guy who did not play a lot of baseball at a young age to a guy that kind of came on the scene late, uh, played a bit in high school and then was drafted and then really went through some lumps in the minor leagues. I think that all of that, the learning experiences and some of the, the lows that went along with some of the highs he's experienced have really made this kid just such a well-experienced young man that I think will give him the mindset he needs to succeed in the big leagues. But 
I will say this. I have never in my life met a more polished and cerebral pitcher at the age of when I first met him, 18 years old, than Mike Soroka. And Mike Soroka's path to the major leagues was built on success after success, despite being one of the youngest players at every single league that he played in, including being the youngest pitcher in baseball at one point last year. He looked great uh, in a couple of starts, especially that debut. Then the shoulder became a little bit of an issue for Mike Soroka. I think he wanted to come back before the end of the year last year. They decided to, like you said, play it slow. Interested to see exactly how slow they play it in spring training. As we talked about a little bit already, if there's going to be six starters for the majority of the season, it's hard not to imagine Toussaint and Soroka getting a lot of the starts in that particular case. I just think that the best is yet to come with Mike Soroka, and I would love to see him get the ball every fifth day. I would love to see him healthy, and I would love to see what this guy becomes because as far as students of the game and guys who are into the art of pitching, Mike Soroka has got subscriptions to all that. I mean, he's just an outstanding young pitcher and a guy that I think the sky's the limit for him. He's the safest bet out of all the pitching prospects, especially going into last year. Now, with the shoulder injury, you want, he did pitch a little bit in instruction league. Yeah, You want to see him in spring training and see him blow it out and see if he's comfortable, confident that he's not going to have another injury. And I think they're going to like I said, they're going to play it slow with him. He just has such a bright future. I don't know why you would rush him. Make sure he's ready to go. You're going to need him later in the year. They might limit some innings with him uh, just to make sure that he is healthy throughout the entire season. But when you look at a guy that's polished, like you said, this is the guy. And as far as safe bets, I mentioned this is the safest bet. This guy throws strikes. He knows how to pitch. He's got good off-speed stuff. He's able to locate. What more can you ask? And I want to see more of Mike Soroka. He's basically a fastball sinker type of guy. And what's interesting is when you watch Mike Soroka pitch on the TV, you don't see the type of movement that he actually has on the ball. And I kept saying, I know he's got a better sinker. I know he can get the ball to move. Well, when you look at the, the pitch tracks and the, the amount of downward action on the ball, his ball basically just goes straight down. And that's what we don't see on TV. And it's so fun to watch a guy succeed throwing almost 70% fastballs, and that's your guy. And that, that type of pitcher doesn't really exist right now. In baseball, it's a lot of off-speed stuff. But Mike Soroka, to me, is a little bit of a throwback in that perspective. He relies on the fastball, relies on command. Uh, and he's just so polished, too, at such a young age. I hope he's healthy. I want to see him healthy in spring. If I had to take a guess right now, i say Tuki Toussaint wins that number five spot. But Soroka is going to be in that rotation on a consistent basis later on in the year. Let's shoot through some of these other names, kind of, a, I guess, a lightning round, if you will, because the Braves do have a handful of other guys on the 40-man roster that have either big league starting experience or have the opportunity to gain some this year. Luis Gohara, kind of an up-and-down year for him, both, I think, emotionally and physically last year. He came into the year last year, looked upon as possibly one of the most talented pitchers the Braves were going to have in rotation. That never really played out. Then you've got Kyle Wright, who was the Braves' first-rounder in 2017. He made his major league debut last year as well. We saw a little bit of Bryce Wilson, a very little bit toward the end of the year, but there's a lot to like there. Colby Allard had, I think, a bumpier path in the big leagues, but was dynamite at AAA. I think he's a guy that knows how to pitch, but may have to figure out something at the big league level to win more of those battles. 
And then, of course, we've got Max Freed, who we saw be both good in relief and have a couple of starts that really made you wonder what this kid could do. If you're going through some of those names, and I can give them back to you again if you want them, but do you look at one of those guys and think that he has a chance to make a bigger contribution to the Braves in 2019? And if so, if we're talking about Gohara, Wright, Wilson, Allard, and Freed, which one of those guys do you think really has a chance to stick and to make a contribution this year? I think it's Max Freed. They said they want to get him some starts. He was actually singled out as far as being mentioned by Anthopolis, that possible six-starter rotation type deal. I think he'd be a valuable asset as a multiple inning guy in the bullpen. And when you see him out of the bullpen, he's throwing 95, 96 miles an hour yeah. with a hammer and a good changeup. I think Max Freed's capable of being a great starter, but I think he's also capable of being a great reliever as well. And I think that's the guy, if I were to pick that list that you gave me to have the biggest impact, I think that's Max Freed this coming up year. I would agree. I do think if Luis Gohara's stuff is back where it was at the 2017 level and his conditioning is a bit more on point than it was a year ago and it stays that way, those are two guys. I'd love to be figuring out what kind of innings I can get them, whether it's in the bullpen if necessary and in the starting rotation if possible. Again, the Braves still have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to starting pitching prospects. I think we've been thinking all along, well, some of these guys are going to get traded and the Braves are going to get these other needs filled. Maybe they will. When exactly that's going to happen, I don't know. But it is nice to come to spring training and have this kind of list of talent, you know, this many layers of depth as well to help yourself out. Because as we know, injuries have changed the course of many seasons for many teams over the years. So that's what's happening as far as the Braves rotation is concerned. There will be some top prospects in camp as well. Among them, Ian Anderson will be fun to get a look at him. Also, Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller were drafted that same year. It'll be fun to see those three get some time in big league camp. But elsewhere around baseball throughout the week, we have seen pitchers and catchers reporting. In particular, one catcher that we talked about an awful lot on the podcast over the last few months, that'd be JT Romuto. He reported to Clearwater, Florida, which is Philadelphia Phillies country for spring training. The Romuto trade finally happened, Nick. I think we were just waiting and waiting and waiting and (laughs) hoping that it would. Now it's done. I'm sure the Phillies are very happy with that particular addition and they've got to be pretty thrilled to have uh, gotten the Marlins to do that deal in the division, which is something a lot of people wondered if they would do. Well, think about what they added this offseason. They got Dave Robertson, Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura. Hoskins moves back to first base, so that helps the defense out. And now you have JT Romuto. The Phillies aren't playing around, and they might not be done. So I think they have to be excited to see what Romuto brings to the table. But he lengthens that lineup, makes the team a whole lot better. And I'm just glad he somebody got the deal done. I wish the Braves could have got it done. Unfortunately, they couldn't. But good for Real Muto. Finally, he's out of Miami. I don't know if they got the haul they really wanted or asked for. But I think it was a decent haul back for Real Muto. And I think he definitely makes the Phillies that much better. A couple of impact prospects that went down to Miami to get the Real Muto deal done. A lot of different versions of what the Braves may or may not have been offering or the Marlins may not have been asking for with Atlanta. But ultimately, it's the Philadelphia Phillies who won the JT Romuto sweepstakes. And Nick, it was a sweepstakes. That's for sure. There were a lot of folks that <laughs> bought tickets for that particular one. Uh, Phillies also decided to extend Aaron Nola, which I think is the smartest money that they spent in the entire offseason. Four-year pact for him to extend a guy who I think is one of the best young pitchers in all of baseball, if not one of the best pitchers in baseball because Aaron Nola last year, man, he arrived. And I think everybody got a good look at how outstanding he can be. He, he's unbelievable. He's a stud. And 
for four years of $45 million, the Phillies got a steal. I know this was his first year of arbitration, but I don't care. This, this guy is worth way more than $11 million a year on average for the next four years. And he's got the fifth-year option for $16 million. It was interesting to me. I think the Phillies probably wanted to extend that contract a little bit longer. But I think I would have, if I was NOLA, the way free agencies worked, and if you have a three in front of your age, it's not been a great offseason. With four years on that contract um, and that fifth year, which they're going to pick up, he's going to be in the 30, 30 range, 31. I, can't, I don't know the exact number. Anyway, he's going to have a three in front of his age. And that's going to be a little bit different and a little bit uh, exciting for me to see how the free agency deals work in five years from now as opposed to now. Uh, if he goes into free agency at 29, he's, he's going to be that guy, that Patrick Corbin-type pitcher-type contract. But Philly, good job. Hats off. Nolan took the security. And for four years and $45 million with that fifth-year option, that was a steal. Yeah, you start doing some of the math on the first couple of years of arbitration. Those aren't the big paydays, but I, I'm guessing that getting into that last one where it could have been a $20-plus million payday, following maybe a 9 or $12 million payday. I think the math probably works out, but they're able to take that hit and spread it out over the next four years. So I think that helps the Phillies out in terms of another little aspect of that if people are kind of wondering, well, why would this guy give up going to arbitration? I don't think anybody enjoys going to arbitration that much. And for more on this, you can check out Trevor Bauer's Twitter because I think a lot of things got a little bit testy in those arbitration hearings. And the Bauer one was one of the more interesting things I've ever heard about so, because his social media account came up. So check out this too. And if you guys have Twitter, go to, I think it's MLB Network Twitter. They posted a video of Sean Casey talking about the only time he went to arbitration. It is the greatest thing you'll ever watch. You'll laugh forever. He tells a story about going to arbitration and how upset he was. And it was only like 200 grand, but how upset he was with what he was hearing uh, and how bad they said he was playing. <laughs> he was a base clogger and all this stuff. But that's part of arbitration. Make sure you go check that out, too. It, it was pretty funny. It, that should be pretty fun. I have not seen that yet. I'm going to check that out for sure. You got to check it out. It's so funny. Uh, one of the other big stories that you may or may not have heard about this winter is the fact that a couple of free agents, one named Bryce Harper and one named Manny Machado, still haven't picked teams to sign with. Heading towards the weekend, all the teams have reported pitchers and catchers, all that good stuff. This stuff was supposed to be done by now, I thought. Nick, when do you think these guys are going to sign? It's got to be soon, right? I mean, how long can they wait and how much spring training would they want to miss, especially if they're changing teams, which for Machado, that's a given. For Harper, we don't know. Maybe the Nationals are, are going to swoop in and this thing's going to you know, have a happy ending for them. But I still shake my head at those two, Craig Kimbrell, Dallas Keuchel, guys that are still out there. I mean, when is this going to stop? This is insane. I, I think it should have stopped a long time ago, but – when you're looking at Harper, Machado, possibly getting the amount of years they're getting, they don't care if they miss a month of the season because they have eight more years left of the contract. It doesn't matter as long as they get their money. But to have success this year, these guys are going to need to sign really soon, and especially the pitcher Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell. We saw last year what happened when the guys were signing late. Something has to change and something has to happen. Wish I knew exactly what was going on with the talks and what they're asking for and what they're being offered, but it's insane to me and something's got to change. 
Well, we'll find out which teams are finally able to get one of those guys to sign on the dotted line, but some intrigue still happening on the hot stove. And of course, as we've talked about many times, the collective bargaining agreement after the last couple of winners, the players are going to have some serious things to discuss with not only with Tony Clark, but when they sit down at that bargaining table to get something figured out when it comes to baseball spending, which has changed drastically over the last few years with the advent of front offices that are much more into the statistical and quantifiable analysis of players as opposed to the old scouting eye and some of the traditional ways that baseball was run for decades upon decades. But that is what's happening from the Diamond. We hope you enjoyed it, and we're going to be bringing it to you every single Friday. New episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, at FromTheDiamond underscore on Twitter, where you can find the show. I'm at Grant McCauley. Nick is at NickGreen20. FromTheDiamond.com is where you can find the articles in every single episode of the show. There's a preview of the Braves in every single facet, five parts. Got the catchers, the infield, the outfield, the rotation, and the bullpen. Just dropped on Friday morning along with this podcast as well. So new today, you're getting not only this episode of From the Diamond, but also the fifth and final piece of that Braves preview. And wouldn't you know, right in time for the Braves pitchers and catchers to report and for spring training to be getting underway in full with some workouts this coming week and the Grapefruit League opener for the Braves against the Mets will be happening on February the 23rd down in Port St. Lucie. So, Nick, we are now counting down the days till an actual baseball game. Even if it's an exhibition, it's only about a week away, so I guess we can get a little bit more excited that opening day is getting closer and closer, and we finally got some baseball back in our lives. I'm excited about it. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see some live BP coming up Oh yeah. in about four or five days. It happens so fast, you got to get ready, so... Uh, I think everybody is excited to get things going, and I'm ready to see some live baseball. Uh, I've missed it. It's been too long, and it's about to happen. Well, I was excited to get this thing going. FromTheDiamond.com is where you can find everything, including this show, which aptly named. From the Diamond, which is where all the best things in baseball can be found, except maybe this podcast, which is uh, from whatever device you're playing it on. But we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you'll subscribe, leave a rating as well. We always appreciate those. Nick, I look forward to doing this again next week. And we've got a little bit more baseball to talk about that actually is happening in and around the field. And we can get ready for some Grapefruit League action. And I look forward to doing that next Friday with you. Absolutely. See you next week. All right. For Nick Green, I'm Grant McCauley. And we will catch you next week on From the Diamond. So long, everyone. <laughs>